Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today, we are focusing on the 15th parak of Sefer Malachim. Stylistically, this parak continues where the last parak left off, which is to say, we've shifted. We were perhaps spoiled by getting these beautiful, rich, textured portraits of different individuals, people like Shmuel, Shaul, David, even people uh, around David, like Yonatan, like Yoav, uh, David's son, of course, Shlomo HaMelech, we, we got pretty robust, obviously to differing degrees, but pretty robust portraits of all of these individuals. Now we've moved to a phase in the Sefer where what we're going to be given will amount to, at times, little more than just a, a vague sketch capturing years, sometimes many years, of a person's reign in just a matter of psukim. So we start in that vein with Aviam, who succeeds Rechavam. This is Shlomo's grandson. He reigns for three years, and he continues the sinful leadership of, uh, of his father, the, the terrible leadership of Rechavam, leading the nation astray, turning their back on Hashem, and as the Sefer says, not following in the ways of David HaMelech. David HaMelech, his great-grandfather, uh, will be continually held up as this kind of gold standard, even though the Perak acknowledges this particular Perak, it says he doesn't follow in the ways of David, who was wonderful, except for the sin of uh, with Bathsheba and with Uriah. Nonetheless, David is still held up as this gold standard. So we know that Aviam is sinful. We also know that he continues the civil war with Yeravam. There's a civil war raging between the northern and southern kingdoms, but that's pretty much it. The treatment of his kingship ends with a, a recurring phrase, uh, a refrain, the rest of the acts of Aviam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? Which is to say, uh, I'm not going to spend time recounting all of the uh, details of Aviam's kingship. They're recounted in the, in the royal records. I'm, I'm not going to spend time dealing with that. And that's such an important refrain because it drives home the fact that Sefer Malachim is not a history book. It's not meant to capture all of the major events of a particular monarch's uh, life and tenure as king. It's a book with a particular religious and moral message interested in presenting the events that are relevant to that particular thesis, that message. And of course, we'll continue to sharpen exactly what that message is, but broadly speaking, to put it very simply, it is that when a king follows in Hashem's ways, the king thrives and the nation thrives, and when the king turns his back on Hashem, that king suffers and the nation suffers. All of the other particulars of this king's uh, tenure are irrelevant. And if you're interested, you can go and look and find them somewhere else that's not the 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 matter of focus for Sefer Malachim, which we know the Gemara tells us is authored by Yirmiyahu. Yirmiyahu has a prophetic message, a religious, a moral message to deliver. Anything else that doesn't fit into that framework is simply not going to be recorded here. And to demonstrate uh, this point, it's, it's powerful to compare the account of Aviam's kingship here in Sefer Malachim to that which is presented in Divrei Hayamim. Because in Divrei Hayamim, we're actually told that there is a tremendous event which takes place. There is a, a battle between the north and the south, between Aviam and Yeravam, which includes over a million men, over a million soldiers, 
a half a million soldiers are killed from the northern kingdom alone in this battle. And, and in the context of this battle, we're told about this speech, this very powerful and patriotic speech and moral speech that, uh, that Aviam delivers to the, the troops in the south before they march against the troops of the north. It's a very dramatic moment, and it's, of course, a moment of great consequence, just even simply based on the numbers of people that are involved, and yet that is completely absent in Sefer Malachim. Because, as I said, if you're interested in that, everything else you're interested in the details, look in a different book. Sefer Malachim is interested in pursuing its particular message and constructing its particular vision of, uh, or reconstructing its particular uh, vision of history. Um, it's, it's not interested in giving you every bit of uh, of detail. So that's very, very important. Following Aviam, we have a much welcomed, positive moment in the history of the Southern Kingdom, the Kingdom of Yehuda, because Aviam is succeeded by his son Asa, who does follow in the ways of David, doing that which is right in the eyes of Hashem. He ends the rampant idolatry and prostitution. He even unseats his own idolatrous mother, I'll say possibly grandmother, uh, from her official post uh, of queen. Um, he destroys her Abu Dazar that she herself set up in the land. So he's willing to uh, even turn against his own family in pursuit of following the ways of Hashem. He brings this kind of very positive sweeping reform to the nation. But he stops short of routing all of the, the bamos, all of the smaller altars and places of worship. So he's unable or perhaps unwilling to restore the Beis HaMikdash to its kind of pride of place as the sole locus of worship uh, to, uh, for, for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But nonetheless, the, the parak tells us that he himself is, quote, whole with the Lord. He himself follows in the ways of Hashem. Presumably that means he doesn't worship on Bamos. He only worships in Yerushalayim. And on the whole, this is a, a kind of a shining moment. Things seem to be headed very much in the right direction. Uh, and uh, he even restores some of the wealth and the grandeur and the grandeur to the Beis HaMikdash, which, as we know, kind of goes hand in hand. King leads the proper way. There is success and there's even a monetary success, which in its ideal form will then be used to um, to uh, further beautify uh, the Beis HaMikdash. So he's following a, a wonderful model in some degree, to some degree, a, a model set up by Shlomo, right? Success breeds wealth. Hopefully that's then channeled to the Beis HaMikdash. Everything seems to be going the right way. It's very, very promising. And then he does something that's kind of problematic. But before we can discuss his questionable move, Let's turn our attention to the northern kingdom. Yeravam, we are told, dies, and then his son Nadav succeeds him. But he continues in the evil ways of his father and is quickly assassinated by Basha, who is uh, from the tribe of Yisachar, who then rises to power and wipes out all of Yeravam's family. We've said in the past that this was something that was done in the ancient world. Obviously, the previous king's family is your greatest threat. It's your greatest challenge to, uh, to, to, to the kingship if you unseat a king and, and completely um, push aside all of the, the heirs to the throne. So those are naturally going to be the people that will challenge your, uh, the legitimacy of your kingship. And so, um, and so Basha quickly kills off all of Yerevam's family, which itself is a fulfillment of the prophecy that was delivered to Yerevam's wife or to, to Yerevam through his wife. So now we have Basha 
uh, as the king in the north kingdom of uh, the, uh, the 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 kingdom of Israel, and Asa as the king in the south, the king of Yehuda. War continues to reign between these two kingdoms. However, possibly because of the political stability of the south, where the king the kingship is passed from father to son, uh, compared to the instability of the north, and possibly because of the success of King Asa uh, that he's experiencing leading the nation in the proper way, as we just noted, we find that the people of the, of the north begin defecting to the south. So says, uh, that's the explanation given by Divrei Hayamim, uh, that the people in the north were defecting to the south, and as a result, we are told in this parak, in our parak here in Sefer Malachim, that Basha builds a big wall, a big, beautiful wall, to stop the flow of migrants from the north to the south. Again, it's not clear from our parak all, all that background, the, the defectors, that that's not so clear. Divrei Hayyamim fills in some of those gaps, but putting it all together, it seems like that was likely one of the major causes for Basha building this wall where he, where he did on his southern border, pre- preventing people from going from the northern kingdom to the southern kingdom. It was also likely part of a fortification uh, for war. And uh, this move was uh, very objectionable in the eyes of Asa, of Asa, who then takes a, uh, a, a pretty bold move, a questionable move. He turns to Hadad, the king of Aram, and he bribes him with all of the wealth that he could muster. He bribes him to make war against Basha in the northern kingdom. Hadad takes the bribe, and as a result, he attacks and conquers a huge swath of Israel, of the northern kingdom. And so uh, the plan really succeeds. This bribe, this attack, uh, succeeds in diverting Basha's attention from his southern flank uh, and diverting his attention to the north. He quits this project of building this wall and this fortification. And, And in that respect, Asa's plan is a smashing success. But we're left wondering how we're meant to judge this move on the part of the otherwise very righteous king, Asa. It's very much unclear from the text how we're meant to see this. The text doesn't give us moral clarity on the matter. We are told that after 41 years of rule, which is a very lengthy reign, Asa develops some sort of disease in his foot and he dies. And some of the Mepharshim sees on that uh, as, a, as a kind of punishment uh, for having appealed to a foreign power to intervene and to fight in the north. They say that that, that must have been his punishment. Why does the text give us that bit of information? It must be that that was a punishment for having turned to, uh, to an enemy, to a foreign enemy, to intervene in what was, uh, you know, up until this point, a matter of, of fighting, of, of civil war. Um, but, you know, the length of his rule and the fact that he was already in his old age when he developed this disease doesn't doesn't make it quite so clear that it was such a uh, such a, a strong uh, punishment for this act. And again, we're we're kind of left to wonder how we make sense of having turned to Aram for assistance. Regardless, in any event, after a relatively good, perhaps even relatively excellent uh, tenure as king, uh, Asa dies, and his son uh, Yehoshaphat takes his place. And we will continue uh, in next parak with uh, our attention turned once again to the kingship uh, in the north, uh, the king uh, Basha. That's it for today. Chazak ve'amatz and happy learning.